<laughs> Don't be a wannabe. Be who God wants you to be. I bet that none of you thought that when you came to church this morning, you would get a donut, right? Isn't this the best church ever? And I'm pretty sure that is not the coffee that you want to go with it. <laughs> Um, we're talking in this series about being who God created you to be and what stops us from being who God created us to be. And I grew up in Southern California, and I wasn't sure who I wanted to be when I grew up. I lived about an hour from the beach, which was awesome, so I thought for a minute that maybe I would like to be a marine biologist. That sounded really nice. Wasn't sure. We also lived about an hour from Hollywood. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go into the entertainment industry. I'll be an actress, maybe a writer, maybe something like that. My dad was a lab technician in a hospital. And he worked at the same hospital pretty much throughout my entire uh, childhood, which I was really glad about because it was just about the only stable thing that I had. Because even though my dad had that one job, we kept moving around all the time. We just kind of, within an hour, half hour of this hospital, we just kept moving. And because California doesn't have school choice, that meant that I moved schools every time that we moved. So by the time I got to fifth grade, it was my fifth new school, right? Now, I don't remember it bothering me all that much. Um, I'm kind of an independent sort anyway, and I'm kind of up for the new adventure, so I'm like, well, not so bad. What did bother me was the fact that my parents were always fighting. It bothered me that they were struggling and they couldn't figure it out. And, and I didn't understand what was going on in our house. I only knew that we were financially always strapped and that the phrase I heard over and over again throughout my childhood was, it'll be better next year. It'll be better next year. And I remember the day in fifth grade, and I don't know if it was like the first day of school or maybe the first week, because I, I could almost feel those nervous excitement feelings happening. And I was gonna get out, and I remember my mom leaned over and she said, honey, it's gonna be better next year. And I remember something locking in my heart. And I thought, no, it's not. I don't believe you. I'm not gonna trust what you say anymore. And right there, an unwritten internal code dropped and locked in my heart. And it was a code that said, if you don't do what you say you're gonna do in the past, I'm not gonna trust you to say what you're gonna do in the future. What I didn't know is that that code was how I navigated my life. I navigated my relationships, I navigated my relationship with my parents that way, and eventually, I navigated my relationship with God that way. When I was 19, I discovered that Jesus loved me. I discovered that he went to the cross to pay for my sin and that he wanted to give me life today and then eternal life forevermore. And I was like, sign me up. So I started walking with Jesus and following him. And you know, he has this whole new code for your life. And I was like, I'm gonna live this code. But what I kept running into was this old code that was actually running the show of my life. Now, because God is merciful and wonderful and graceful, just about day one, when I was little 19-year-old, Cindy said, I will trust you. He said, that's great, honey, you don't know how. But I'm gonna help you with that because it is a really important thing. You know, all of us have unwritten codes 
internal codes that have been written because we've been raised by broken people in a broken world. And they work for you to survive. And they will work as long as survival skills usually work, which is they work until they stop. They work until something happens and you bump up into something in your life. And like you work really hard to have the desktop of your life clean. Look how good it looks. Everything is running great. Until your computer crashes. You're like, something's wrong on the inside. <laughs> that's what these internal codes are. It's these things that's wrong on the inside that God wants to reveal, heal, and then replace. So God, like I said, in his mercy and grace, has been walking with me faithfully from the beginning. But trust issues or any of our codes that we have worked with, worked by, I should say, Whatever those issues are, isn't something that is a one and done. He doesn't fix it, I wish, I really do wish. I was like, that would've been awesome. Could I have just you know, said a prayer and he'd be like, zing, now you will trust me in everything and every relationship. And that's not how it works. He brings it up because your trust issue, your issue comes up and I, what's your issue? Your issue could be anger. Your issue could be resentment. Maybe your issue's fear. Maybe your issue is anxiety. Maybe you're afraid of donuts. <laughs> I'm so sorry for you today. <laughs> no, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what your issue is. God is faithful to walk you through changing that code. And he does it from the very beginning. And then every time the issue comes up, he goes, we replace it here. We replace it here. Oh, remember that? I'm going to replace it right here. So it's this relationship. About a month ago, God brought me back to this issue in my life trust issues. If you have gone through Freedom Group with me or you've been to the Freedom Conference, um, you'll hear me say this. Hi, my name is Cindy and I have trust issues. It is the issue and God continues to bring me back so that I can be the me I want to be, which is with Cindy, without trust issues. I want faith issues, you know? So he brings me back to it and he brought me to the story that I have never seen before. Like I have skipped over it and I've been walking with him for like 27 years and I love the word of God. And sometimes I get in there and I'm like, how did I not see this? But he showed it to me. So I wanna share it with you this morning. So it is in John six and it starts, as soon as I can put my glasses on and see when it starts. There we are. It starts on verse 25 and it starts with a question. It's, uh, 625, it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, my question always is, when I read the word, is who are they? And why are they asking him this question? The they is that this is a group of people who in the beginning of chapter six were there when Jesus fed 5,000 people. So the day before they asked this question, Jesus was there on the side of the Lake of Galilee and he had probably, it was more like 10 to 12,000 people because in that day they didn't count women and children. And so he says, let's feed all of these people and his disciples went, are you crazy? <laughs> like, we don't have enough money to do that. And he said, what do you have? And he said, well, we have a little boy here who will give us his lunch and it has five little loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus took those five loaves and two fish and he broke them and he blessed them and he fed 10,000 people till they were full with leftovers. Now that crowd thought, this guy is awesome. 
like he fed us, and I bet you he's powerful enough. If he can do this, if he can do a miracle like this, I bet you he could overthrow Rome. He should be our king. And so they started talking among themselves like, he should be our king. And it says that Jesus actually was like, he knew that they were going to try to force him to be their king, and he disappeared. He sent his disciples across the lake to the other side, and he said, I'm gonna go up into a mountain to pray, to meet with God, because he didn't come for other people's agenda. He came for God's agenda. And so in the middle of the night, after he'd prayed, and the disciples had been rowing across the sea, and they'd been going into the head of the wind. They'd been going into the wind so that they were rowing. It says they were struggling. Do you ever feel like in your life, when you're in there and you're like, I am making no progress. This is really frustrating. This is where they were at. And then Jesus decided to meet them and walk on water. So it's the middle of the night, they've been straining for hours, and they see him walking on water and they freak out. Because wouldn't you freak out if you saw a man walking on water in the middle of the night? They were like, it's a ghost. And he's like, it's not a ghost, it's me. And it says, when they were, make me laugh, because it says when they're ready to let him into the boat. Like, you know, they're like, I don't know who you are. When they were ready to trust him, he got in the boat and then immediately they got to their destination. You know that Jesus can come into your life and you may feel like you're struggling and you're getting nowhere in your life, but when you finally invite him in and say, come into this, he can move that so much faster than you can imagine. He can do a miracle. So what happened is this great crowd woke up and there was no Jesus and no disciples and no boat. But he knew, they knew that he didn't get in the boat with the disciples, so where did he go? So they decided to go in boats themselves and go across to Capernaum and find this guy who was awesome. And so this, these are the people, this is the they. They found him on the other side of the lake and they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He says, listen, I mean, he could have just answered their question. He didn't even answer their question. He could have said, when did you get here? And he's like, after I fed 10,000 people, walked on water, and miraculously got my disciples here. That's when I got here. But he doesn't. He goes right to the heart of the matter because he, listen, you didn't come here for me. You came for another miracle. You don't want me. You don't want to know me. You just want what I can give you. And he says, and I want you to know this, is that he, is he the miracle worker? Yes. When you need a miracle, some of you today came to church because you need a miracle, and that is a great reason to come to Jesus. But it's not how you stay with Jesus. And Jesus wants to give you more than a temporary fix. Miracles at best are a temporary fix to a temporary problem. And I've needed them in my life, and there's nothing wrong with them because Jesus does them. But when you only come to Jesus to fix what's temporary, you might hear him say, I wanna do more. I, wanna, I don't wanna just fix the problem you're having today. I wanna fix the problem that's under the problem that's under the problem. I wanna transform your entire life, not just fix what you're hungry for today. See, all those 10,000 people, they were hungry again. They were like, where's the Krispy Kreme? He said, I have more, I came to do more than a temporary fix. Verse 27 says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. He said, listen, 
Stop wasting your life on eternal things. Your life is meant for so much more for that. You, you labor and you work. That work means your occupation. What are you obsessed with? What do you think about? What are you working for? And he says, don't work for food that spoils, for food that will end. Don't work for security that can leave like finances. Some of you are working at a job that you hate so that you can have a few hours to do what you like. Jesus says, I have way more than that for you. Don't work for food that spoils. Don't work to find something that will satisfy you that will only satisfy you for a moment because human beings cannot give you what God can give you. And you're looking to a relationship to find love that will last. You, can, you have to look to God for a relationship with love that literally will last for all eternity. He says, stop working for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. I love that. Because he's like, don't work for temporary, work for eternal, which I want to give you. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? What must we do to do the works God requires. And I read this and I was like, this has been in here the whole time. How did I not see this? Like I've been reading this this whole time. I ask this for God all the time. What do I need to do for you? What do you want me to do? Tell me what my next thing is. Where do you want me to serve you? I am an achiever. I am a, I'm a list maker. I like to check things off. So I like found this about a month ago and I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Let's see what he says. What must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. First of all, first of all he doesn't say that the work is to do anything. Your first work in your relationship with God is to believe him, to believe in him. Now, believe to me is a really bland word. And in English, we believe, you know, that English word, we believe in a lot of things. I believe that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player in the history of the game. I do, I believe that. Thank you. But it doesn't change my life and it doesn't impact my life. I believe that chocolate is an appropriate answer to any problem, right? It, it doesn't really make it true or wise. What does believe mean? So I want to know what Jesus said when he meant believe. And like I said, when I was about 19, 20 years old, I asked questions like, what are you talking about when you say this word? And I was given some great advice, which is to go to other versions of the Bible, my favorite being the Amplified. Because what the Amplified does is it takes the original language and it amplifies it and it gives you what it means, what it actually means that helps me understand because English can be bland. This is the Amplified version of John 6, 28 and 29. Then they asked him, what are we to do so that we may habitually be doing the works of God? Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe, which means adhere to, trust in, rely on, and have faith. This is the work that God's given you and me to do, to adhere to like duct tape. Just whoosh. trust in, 
rely on and have faith. I remember the first time I read that and I thought, oh, that's gonna be a problem for me. <laughs> like he's saying, I need to trust in him. I need to adhere to him. I need to rely on him. I don't like to rely on anybody. He says, rely, you can rely on me. So now every time I read that word believe, I hear the echo in my heart say, adhere to, trust in, rely on and have faith. That's what Jesus means. I went to my young adult pastor and I, when I brought to him this word and I said, I am having trust, I'm having trouble trusting God. Like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to fix it. You need to help me. And he said, you are right. You do need to fix it. <laughs> this is kind of an important issue, but here's a good place to start. And then he led me to this obscure verse in Numbers. Numbers, people. And I was like, what? Numbers 2319, and it is one of my favorites. God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God is not human that he should lie. He's not a human being that he should change his mind. You see, I was putting my experience of my human parents, of my boss, of the relationships that I've had in my life with people who are not necessarily trustworthy and certainly not eternal, that I was putting that attribute on God. And I was saying, this is what, I don't know how to trust you because I can't trust the humans that raised me. And he said, but I'm not human. I'm not a human being. We, I think that at best, we barely grasp the power of God. We barely understand who he is and how he is and what it looks like. And yet he gave us this whole book to reveal himself to us and in it, he says, I'm not a human being that I should lie. I don't change my mind. He is not all words and no actions. When he promises, he follows through with it because it's who he is. He can't not do it. When he said, let there be light, there was no other option. There was going to be light and light that we still see today. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I realized that the reason that I can trust God is because he has done what he said he would do so I can trust him to do what he says he will do in the future. And I can trust Jesus because Jesus is God wrapped in human flesh, come down to pay for me, die for me where my sins upon him and then rise again on the third day. And not only that, but here's a man who is God who followed through on what he said. In fact, in Luke 18, 31 through 32, this is the third time just in Luke that he has predicted his death and resurrection. This is before he even went to Jerusalem and he was just letting his disciples know, hey, I need to let you know what's going on because see, all these people want me to do a revolution here. I wanna do a revolution that will last for all eternity. So let me tell you, this is what's gonna happen. Jesus took the 12 aside and, and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and they will kill him. On the third day, he will rise 
again. He says, I just need to let you know. And this was in Luke the third time that he had predicted his death and resurrection. I love it. I love how Andy Stanley says it. He says, if a man can predict his death and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever that man says. Right? Come on. You can trust Jesus because he did what he said he was going to do. So you can trust him to do what he says he's going to do in the future. Yes. And here's the thing. Jesus is not somebody who just, he's not a good man who did some miraculous things. I don't put my trust, I don't believe, adhere to, trust in, rely on, and have faith in a prophet who died. I have faith in Jesus who rose from the dead and is at the right hand of God right now. He is my living Savior. He is my living Lord. And because of that, because I can say, you did what you say you were going to do, and what you said you were going to do was pretty amazing. I can trust you with, to do what you say you're going to do with my life, with my eternity. I can believe in you. I remember that um, about three years into our marriage, I was just, I was struggling so much because I just wanted to have a baby. It was a desire God put in my heart and I just wanted to have it and nothing, it was not working, it wasn't happening and all my friends were having babies, you know? It's like one of those things where, you know, if, I, if one more of my friends comes to me and says, I'm pregnant and we weren't even trying, I was like, Ugh. I was in this really discouraged place and wondering what was going on and I was in a night of worship and I was worshiping God and I remember the moment that he gave me this picture. He gave me this vision. And it was me holding a baby in my arms. And my, Bobby, my husband's arms, are wrapped around me. And then God's arms wrapped around us. And then we were surrounded. And it was a golden and white vision that just caused a little bit of hope to rise. Now, it wasn't until about two and a half years later that I found myself in a place in my life where I really kind of felt like God had forgotten us. We were in between jobs. We didn't know what our next step was going to be. We were living in Bobby's grandma's garage. And I got pregnant. Okay? Yes. And God said to me, do I not speak and not act? Do I not promise and fulfill? I know you feel like right now you may, I may have forgotten you and I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm fulfilling this problem, promise that's gonna grow inside of you so you know that I will take care of you. I will provide. He is not a man that he should lie. He is not a human being that he should change his mind. He speaks and he acts. He promises and he fulfills. You know, Justin, he's my oldest. He was born nine months later in the same hospital that my husband was born in and we were surrounded by his family. God is faithful. And God, you can trust him to do what he says he's going to do in your life because he did what he said he was going to do. The impossible thing of dying on the cross and he was dead for three days. Dead, dead. <laughs> he 
You know, you die for three minutes and doctors start to worry about you. He was three days. And then the breath came back into that body. The breath of life that could not be denied. He came back and then he walked out of that grave so that you and I can walk out of our graves. That there is no code, there is no death, there is no lie that can hold us back because death did not hold our Lord back. What are your in, unwritten codes? What are, what are your internal codes that have been written in your childhood that were written just last week that God says, I want to set you free from this? Because the God who rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, is trustworthy. And he has walked with me every single day since. And I can tell you, he has absolutely fulfilled the promises that he has made, and they rarely look anything like you expect them to. But you know, I didn't put my faith in the vision he gave me, because at that point I knew that my faith was in the one who gave me the vision. If you put your faith in a vision and you make it like a God, it, it, it has no power, but if you put your faith in the one who gave you the vision, it can't not happen because it's who he is. So just let it encourage you and, and look to the one who speaks, who promises. We're gonna end this service by taking communion together. And it was right after this in this story that the men, they still weren't getting it. They were like, okay, the work of God is to believe. And he says, well, they said, what sign will you give us? And I feel like God looked at them like, are you serious? <laughs> you want another sign? Some of you today are waiting for another sign to believe in God. You're waiting for one more miracle so that you can put your trust in him. Can I tell you, you don't have to wait because he's already done the miracle. He is the miracle and what you're looking for is who he is. Those men said, our father Moses gave us manna from heaven. What will you give us? And Jesus says, he says, uh, the bread of God that comes down from heaven, the, the, my father gives you the real bread of God. And it is the bread that gives life to the world. If you're here today and you think that you are not worthy or you're discounted from this salvation, are you a part of the world? Then it's for you. This is for you. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me won't go hungry anymore. Anyone who comes to me, they won't be thirsty anymore. I'm gonna give you something that lasts a relationship that begins today and goes all the way into eternity. He actually foreshadows communion because he says, they said, well, that's weird. How are you bread? Like, how are we supposed to partake of you? And he said, anybody who wants this, who wants in this work God's doing, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Oops. And they said, that was really weird. <laughs> that guy's creeping me out. And a whole lot of people were like, and we're not following Jesus anymore because he wants us to become cannibals. This is too much. And yet, thousands of years later, we come together every month as a symbol 
because the night before he was betrayed to fulfill the word that he had spoken that God had sent thousands of years before that, that he was gonna send a Messiah to save the world. He said, this, this bread right here, this is a symbol of my body that has been given for you. My greatest wish and desire is that you'd receive it and believe it. Let's partake. And he said this, this is the cup of the new covenant. The new covenant that your old covenant was that you tried to work to get God's approval. This one is that God did the work and he approves you. And all you have to do is receive it like you're taking it inside your body. Just, I wanna be a part of you. God doesn't wanna just be a part of your life. He wants to be your life. That's how he, unwrite, he undoes those codes and he teaches you how to deal with the issues that we have. He says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I love you and all I want is for you to receive and believe it. Let's partake. My prayer for you today is that this week, God will reveal the hidden codes that are really sabotaging your relationships in your life, that'll show them to you, that he'll heal them and that he'll replace them because you can trust him. You can adhere to, trust in, rely on, and have faith in this Jesus. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would do the work that you desperately want to do, that you came to do in us. God, I thank you for being faithful, God, not just to do what you said you would do, but you have been faithful every day that I walked with you and that you are a living Lord. You are our living hope. God, I pray that you would birth hope today in the hearts of the people that are here and the hearts of anyone within the sound of my voice, that you will fulfill what you have promised and what you have spoken will come to be. I thank you, God, that you are God. Bless this, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.